Well, I mean, how do you feel about wearing the headphones? I'm cool with over, dude. You're the one that has to make sure the audio is okay. Are, there, are the headphones over there? They are right here. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. Go ahead and slip them on. See what uh, see what you think. You don't have to wear them, but it's helpful because, like, lean into the mic real quick. Okay. So it helps you stay consistent on your audio. Like I was thinking about not going with headphones when I first started. I have three pair here. I need to get a fourth pair and a fourth mic, but um, it helps. It helps me. So to see, I got a little further away. I could still hear myself in my headphones. Yeah. But now it's way better. <laughs> right. So uh, anyway. Love, doctor. What are you doing? So uh, uh, we're we're uh, we're live uh, or recording because we're not technically live. We're uploading this after the fact, but we're gonna upload it the same day that we were that we did it. So, but I'm podcasting in the studio with uh, Josh McMillan. We could we could say a lot of things, McMillan, because you're a man of many hats. Uh, I will just give you a brief intro, and, and we'll just talk about normal stuff like we always do. So you are. Uh, so I first knew you is uh, a judo guy, right? So you're fourth degree judo black belt. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Martial arts, 20 years. Uh, you did fencing. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, so, yeah, outside of that, also 20 years law enforcement. Yeah, 16 years law enforcement right now. Okay. Okay. And then you yeah. didn't didn't you work in so one of your one of your jobs you work with like the you interface with the community. You were like a like almost like the a uh, uh, little bit of PR or mouthpiece. Public information officer for the city police department. <clears throat> yeah, I'm glad that police departments have that guy. Um, that guy's uh, you, every guy I've dealt with. I dealt with um, Drew Latch, and who's the, who's the guy? And I keep forgetting his so name. So there's really not one right now because the guy that was Quinn? Quinn Jones, he's now a sergeant. He got promoted. Okay, and so they're trying to fill that spot. It's my understanding, but they haven't filled it yet. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well. They should get on that. <laughs> it's it's a needed position, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So and two, so I remind me. Um, so we since we won't um, talk about any uh, affiliations awesome. on the uh, on the on the podcast, uh, I did hear uh, from uh, a friend of ours, Mister Butler, of uh, of local businesses yeah. that we know about. Uh, he was saying that uh, we're really close to, or, uh, you know, the city and um, one of the local schools <laughs> are really close to getting a deal done on a building, uh, you know, somewhere in between my gym and that school. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on in the city right now, man. There man. sure is. Elections. Um, uh, what is uh, so? This so is a runoff you? election. Yeah. Right. So I see. I see you voted on your. I did. Yeah, good for you. Way to ex execute I your. To, I take my duty. daughter with me to vote. She's the so she gets involved. Mouse. She's seven, man. She's so, so cute. I think it's critical, man, to get your kids involved in all that democratic process at early age, so that later it becomes one of those where it's like, hey, I've got to do this, because right now, man, no one really votes anymore. You know, we've got a uh, an area, and if they'll get thirty eight hundred people out to vote in this election, it's such a small percentage of who actually is registered to vote in that election it's like a it's the senate district 16 seat and man there's well i mean just just our town alone is a small town what yeah. to, but it's still like thirty thousand people yeah so i think the census was like 27 five around there and that but, was how many years ago and no. that's just city limits is that correct yeah so and that's not pope that's not our county 
our county is around fifty nine to sixty thousand people. See, yeah. And so major half the half the county lives in Russellville where we're at, mm-hmm. you know. And so just that alone, thirty hundred people. And now we're talking about our county, Newton County, uh I I don't want to mess this up, but there's like another like three or four counties in that district too. And so just that alone, you're talking about a hundred thousand plus people populous and only thirty eight hundred people coming out to vote or five thousand people coming out to vote, let's say five thousand. That's such a small percentage of the voters. And then if they want and people want to complain later, like, hey, I don't like this person in that job. Well, did you vote? Because that's what you're supposed to do to make sure the right person gets the job. Just political, civic mindedness. That's a great great way to describe it. Yeah. For people listening um, that don't know geographically where we're talking about, Google Willie Nelson Newton County. All right. That's you mentioned Newton County, and yeah. that's uh, I would say that's what Newton County's famous for is Willie Willie Nelson's comments on Newton County. Yeah. I saw Willie Nelson when I was a kid. He came through the, uh, my town uh, just down the road, uh, Clarksville, and um, we were like in the drive-through at a restaurant, and uh, like he was just chilling over there at the hotel with his braids, <laughs> looking hippies, all get out. So. Um, yeah, so what got you into law enforcement? Man, it's kind of funny. Is uh, I ended up in this area because I had a, an acquaintance, uh, and basically I came and did construction work for him when I moved up here. And then uh, when that kind of got done. Uh, single guy at the time? No, nah, he was married. With no, you, you. Oh, I was single. Yeah. yeah you can do whatever you want. Whatever you want, man. I was needing a break from where I was, and opportunity came up. And then it's kind of a, one of those things like life just kind of puts you in different places, kind of odd. And, uh, so when I got done with that job, it's like, hey, I need to figure out what else I want to do. And someone's like, hey, you do martial arts or have for this ever long, you should be a cop. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Like I had never had any aspirations to be a cop or be a police officer at all. And so I was doing construction work on the side, making pretty good living, and then uh, ended up getting hurt and turned out you need insurance because medical bills are pretty mm-hmm. high. They, dude, you know what else is high is health insurance costs. Jesus oh. H, man. My health insurance costs have gone up 300% since I did all this in the last year and a half. I got married. And it was all in one year that it went up that much. But um, we got ma- and it just went up again. So, so we got married, and then I turned 30, and Cora turned 25. And we got on the sa- a same plan together. So now next year we're going to have to not be on the same plan together. Yeah. We're going to have to um I I might be able to swap some of my insurance uh through the university. So um also I was talking to MacArthur about uh they they uh, one of our our good friends uh is retiring from the local university, uh Dr. DeBlack. Oh yeah. Author of um the history textbook of- on Arkansas history. Yeah. And um I may I may be able to segue into uh teaching a class at tech for on Arkansas history. I don't know. It's uh, I I'm interested I'm probably gonna teach uh, the lower level class at uh Moralton. Yeah. So anyway, back to uh law enforcement. You moved here. Basically moved here, needed a job. Someone said be a police officer and I got hired by uh uh, Dar- the city of Darnell at the time, we had 10 officers and went to the academy and became a police officer. And then I was there about two and a half years and then uh, swapped over to the city of Russellville, which is where we live. And I was there about 10 years and, um, or eight or nine, I forget. Got served on the SWAT team, a lot of kind of cool opportunities there, a lot of training opportunities. And 
Uh, spent part of the time as a PIO, worked on the traffic team enforcement specific unit just to go out and help. Uh, the goal that the, the unit was to uh, stop traffic accidents, right? Mm-hmm. Because your city reports traffic accidents to the state police every time one, one occurs, you do report. And so when you report that, you know, insurance companies actually base a lot of insurance premiums off of how many accidents you have in a city. So Interesting. The, yeah. So the thought process was is if we went out and we wrote tickets for those high uh, for those infractions that cause accidents because most accidents occur at intersections, right? So we target like red light, stop sign violations, things that would basically be in- intersection-related traffic offenses. And as we wrote a lot of tickets for that, we noticed our traffic accidents actually decreased. So we had less traffic accidents being reported to the state police. And so it was an effective unit when it was when it was in service. Uh, and then just some manpower issues with the city and uh, not mm-hmm. enough officers to cover shift, and so specialized units kind of went away as far as a traffic team. I mean, why expand on such a program when you could just get rid of it? There you go. Uh, it's also resource-driven, right? So uh, did you guys like, get a grant to fund it the first time or something? Or no, just had all were open-minded about it. Mm-hmm. So what, what, it, what leads to stuff like that going on? Because I've heard of several things like that coming and going locally. Is it administration changes? I was just thinking yesterday – about how um, things like uh, chief of police and sheriffs and how the sort of local and county um, law enforcement administration comes and goes over time. Sure. And it's, you know, leadership's always important. And what you find out is, is like a department's always a reflection of the person in charge, right? So if you've got somebody in charge that's community-oriented, wants to see some programs in the city directed towards certain whatever they think is the most important issue at the time, uh, then what you'll find out is, is that's what they're going to do. A good example is on Netflix, they got a show called Flint right now, and it's about Flint, Michigan. And that's where they had the water crisis. And they talk about that department. It's a 100,000-member city. And what happened is it's 100,000 people. They have a 300 positions for their police department, but they only have 98 officers because of budget cuts and everybody moving out. And they don't have the tax base to support that many officers working for the city and how crimes risen dramatically through the roof. Right. And so there was a police chief that was in there and a new mayor got elected. And one of the first things she did is she uh, got rid of him and put a new police chief into effect. And that old police chief, when you watch the special, so see, that's a th- real yeah. quick. So that's a thing. The mayor and the police chief, the, the mayor typically appoints the chief of police, correct? It is an appointed position. Yep. Mm. Yeah. So I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, I, I do, I like the kind of check and balance on it, but I think yeah. that it should be a separate, I like how there's an election for sheriff. Why can't there be an election for chief of police? Well, historically, man, sheriff's only elected position and constables. Yeah, I, I kind of, you know, and I wish there were, um, I wish some different positions were um, mayoral, 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 I don't know how to say it, appointments by the mayor. Well, and I think, you know, the argument there, the, the, the real discussion is uh, elected city council versus a city manager system, right, with the city. So a city manager is someone that goes to school, gets educated on how to run a city, budgetary issues, programs out there, goes through training, is specialized and trained in just how to manage a city or manage the resources of a city, right? So you've got someone that technically is qualified for the job, but then you can elect somebody in that, you know, all they've ever done their whole life might be sit around and collect a, a pension or something. And they, they worked at a 
I worked at a place for 32 years. They're retired. Now that hey, I'm retired, I want to get involved in politics for the city. And then you elect somebody in that might not have the qualifications to do that position, so to speak, right? There's no training. There's no. Uh, there's nothing in there to for that person. Um, so what you run into is with that argument or that that type of situation, the same thing, right? Someone that's trained for that job, or do you just get someone that by popular vote that comes in? So like the appointment position, like if you appoint somebody, you know, you hope that they appoint somebody that's qualified for the position, right? So if you're going to put a police chief into a position, let's say. You hope that person has a good track record, has a resume that reflects that level of responsibility, uh, reflects the ability to lead people, you know, and has a something in their past or their resume when you look at it that says, hey, this person's qualified for this job, and then what's this person's focus, and what have they done to align that focus and accomplish those miss- missions and tasks, right? Same thing with elections. You get in there, you might have two people about being elected. You might have a guy in there that comes out, and right now, it's interesting as we have this uh, drain the swamp statement people are saying. and yeah, is, we, our town is a literal swamp, uh, and so are a lot of towns in Louisiana where you're from and exactly. where Theo Vaughn, a super hilarious comedian, is also from. Man, it's different. But like that drain the swamp thing, it's interesting. You can be someone running for office, and I was this is on the news the other day, so it might be fake. I have no idea, right? Fake news, right? Yeah, oh, but man, we're a, two, a twofer right there, drain yeah. the swamp and fake news. But they were saying that if a candidate comes out and says, hey, I'm here to drain the swamp or I'm, I'm against big government or I want little government limited, automatically they're picking up 35% of the vote. Isn't it crazy how that comes in waves? I mean, we are in the sort of, I guess you could say, mid-south, right? Yeah. Geographically speaking, isn't that a great way to characterize <laughs> our state? We are mid south boxing. Yeah. So maybe Yeah, mid south mid south golden gloves. Hey, there you yeah, go. Yeah, we're in the mid south. There you go. Not quite the Midwest, the mid south. But isn't isn't uh is Oklahoma considered Midwest? There's Midwest City there in Oklahoma. I think it is considered the Midwest because it has the plains. By Kansas, right? It's close. Yeah. I think it's the Midwest. So yeah. we're we're in the Mid South, um, and uh, so you know we didn't want to be a slave state. Just want to throw that out there, <laughs> just for the record. Uh, anyway, so but uh, in our uh, since Arkansas has been a state since 1836, so during that time, I would say that uh, we are traditionally have been more conservative, even though we are the home of. Former Governor Bill Clinton, hi. <laughs> and then, uh, so that's our claim to fame is uh, we produce Bill Clinton, which a lot of people view his presidency favorably, other than the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Uh, but you know, if you remember, he did not inhale. That's right. Man, he didn't have sex with that, that woman. That either. dude cracks me up, man. Uh, it's hard to believe that they're uh, that they're from here, but so easy, really. If you know more about it, um, have you ever seen that documentary, The Clinton Chronicles? No, I never have seen that one. It's on YouTube. You should check it out. I need to check some stuff out on YouTube. Yeah, um, I watch YouTube quite a bit, man. And see, I think we're headed more that way. Some of the stats I'm getting, just like researching for the podcast, I think are bogus. Because the stats that I'm getting, and I may just not be um, seeing it yet, but Right now, uh, the like the one particular stat is that if I upload this, uh, let's say we weren't doing video, so yeah. like later on today I'm doing an audio only podcast. So 
some people don't like to be on camera. And I'm like, you guys are killing me. But I'm like, no, nah, it's cool. Don't don't like some people are just way more relaxed. If they're on the camera, they're just like <laughs> you know, they just can't act normal. And, and it is, you know, it's it's yeah. normal. The more times that people podcast, like I've uh some people have already been on more than once. Um, like this will be the third time that I've uh, had Booty on the podcast. Uh so he's coming this afternoon. But like that, if I if I have an audio only podcast that I upload in video format on YouTube, it's going to get fewer listens or views, and that's not that's actually my two most viewed podcasts on YouTube. Audio only. Audio only. I tell you what blows my mind is is this younger generation, and I've talked to parents and like their kids. I coach soccer for U eight, you know, and there's this uh, this group coming up and like. YouTube's a job. Like it's like, hey, what do you want? Dude, I'm trying to monetize both my channels. Dude, they're like, what? You know, you're like, hey, what do you want to do when you when you get older? Not architect. No, it's like I want to be a YouTuber. Dude, I closed my. Yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, I know. I closed the member site down and moved everything to the the gym's YouTube because, like, I dislike monetizing it. That's a way shorter term monetization come to find out and I didn't know any of this and I think I told you a bunch of it already on the phone after I learned it but I did a class with the dude that plays Master Ken oh yeah yeah uh, his name is Matt Page he didn't even have a mustache that's a fake mustache bro <laughs> so Master Ken entered the dojo Ameridote a lot of people have seen that it's quality work there, sir. Quality. Yeah. Well, his, his workout video for Sweat and Bullets. Oh, man. my Classic. God, dude. Yeah, the machine gun uh, shells. That wouldn't go over well right now. <laughs> um, like, I bet they're not sharing that. Maybe they should. Yeah. It'd probably be one of those videos that goes viral because of the subject matter again. Um, but <clears throat> that's uh, I never thought about it in, in the terms that he broke it down. And once I did, I just like... I just reevaluated everything in terms of uh, I think that the way to go is to provide free content to people and get the host and servers and pick the host and servers of the content you provide wisely so that like, A, like I think I told you, it's like I don't want to have a middleman between me and my content, whether that's a yeah. blog or a video. So that is what like so now all our web guy does for us is hosting so let me ask you this so like so you're doing that so when you're driving like your people like your your viewers or whatever however you have you group them together are you trying to drive them more like to a web-based platform or more like to your youtube channel i was and i just like i said like here locally yeah like if i were to go broad with it and i was kind of beta testing it locally on our on our members and but we just weren't, um, we were getting people logging in and using it, but then it's like there was serious lag time between the videos I would edit and provide and them getting uploaded and just, you know, this, that, and the other. So I just like, and two, outside of that YouTube class I did, um, which is all about like making a show. So like that's essentially what I'm trying to do here. This is like the super humble beginnings. It's like... Um, I, like my goal would be to, like I said, kind of start doing um, different locations. Yeah. Uh, so like starting filming in my office or setting up to film in the gym. Like so, like, 
we've cleaned out that one room with the with has the shower and like where uh like the closet is and all that. Mm-hmm. I thought about just throwing a couple of chairs in there and I could just do but like I'm trying and I'm probably not gonna do that at the gym. It's just so hard to rely on filming anything other than technique videos and and vlogs and stuff. By the way, oh, it's called a this. vlog. A vlog. It's not a vlog. Is that like? So I was calling it a vlog. I don't know why. So I heard somebody log. call it a vlog. And uh, and here's the thing: people call it a vlog. That's a thing. There's an article out there that has all these other misnomers. Like when I send you a thing, you know, uh, I'm gonna do it right now while we're on. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna send you this. So what would you call what I just text you? <clears throat> I'm waiting for it to come through. Yeah, it'll come through. Yeah. And then I'm going to see something else after that. And I'll like, I'm going to give you like the two. So like there's this article out there I read. It's so, super funny. Did you get it? Yeah. So I would call this a GIF. A GIF. That is correct. GIF. GIF. That is how you say it. I, I call it a gift forever, but it's GIF. Because if you put a T on it, it's a gift. So GIF makes sense, right? Not yeah. a GIF. Yeah. That is totally right. So, yeah. But then you got this down here, the G-I-P-H-Y, the Jiffy, which is also a brand of peanut butter. So I don't know. Is it a Jiffy or is it a Giffy? Yeah, I don't know. I always read Giffy, bro. So I'm going to send you something else. And this is a, a funny um, picture of Frankie Edgar, and it says, and it's after he unfortunately got knocked out at UFC 222, it says, this edible ain't shit. And then underneath it says 45 minutes later. <laughs> and it's a picture of Frankie after he got knocked out by Brian Ortega on UFC 222. Did you see that fight, man? Yeah. Um, if you didn't, I can throw it up on the fight pass if you want to watch it. It was cool. Yeah, but, man, it was uh, super, super brutal. I can't believe Frankie got knocked out like that dude it made new man first time he's ever been finished yeah and Mm. ortega was like yeah yeah man he's got such a like a good looking face (laughs) have you noticed that like his face is just like yeah it's like dude you could be famous bro you kind of are um anyway so now that i would call that a meme is that right is Uh, meme correct Emmy, Emmy. Some people would say meme. I know someone from the gym that has a brown belt that says meme, and it's not me, and it's not Jeff Woods, uh, and and um, it's not John Brashear. So um, anyway, Motley, yeah, from season uh, from all of our uh, Sons of Anarchy season reviews, uh, he he came on the podcast. So Motley's moving, man. He became a game and fish officer, moving up in the world. Possibility to game and fish. You know That's what game game and fish? They're uh, like um, Joe Rogan had a game and fish guy on his podcast, and um, you know, so you know what game and fish people do in like L.A. Is there even like wildlife in LA? Oh yeah, dude. There's like coyote problems, and um, so they're basically like a nuisance abatement team. In a, in a sense, yeah, but they also study them. So um, it's fascinating yeah. how. So like, there's a correlation. So I see coyotes around the gym all the time. Yeah. But there's a correlation over the last thirty years, and then even before that in bigger cities, 
with leash laws and coyotes moving into cities and like eating your cats and stuff. Yeah, that's normal. It's like right now we got the hog problem, right? That's being studied everywhere. Is we having that around Russellville? Oh, we got we got land up in Dover and we got hogs everywhere. But they're doing that uh abatement for the farmers, right? So Texas, mm-hmm. man, it's huge. Huge deal down there for Texas and Arkansas is a huge deal too, but the University of Arkansas Extension people, they've got like a whole website, whole web presence just dedicated to the study of that. But, you know, we've got that wildlife and fisheries major up there at our university. And uh, there's a lady, and she just did a study on feral cats. And her whole graduate uh, thesis Mm -hmm. that she worked on, she would walk around and she would tag feral cats. Interesting. Yeah. So she got money. so many everywhere, dude, at the back of every restaurant, everywhere. I know. And uh, she's about done. I'm kind of curious to see what what, what she's going to find out. But... The Game and Fish, mm-hmm. the Forestry Service, they've all got divisions of biologists and botanists. Yeah, and people I've that got work a couple of guys at the gym that work the Forestry Service. Yeah, and they just go out, and their whole job is to like track the patterns of bugs, track the patterns of wildlife, of plant life, and to see if there's any changes. Like, you know, we had the, the deer. They've got that chronic waste disease going on right now that they're tracking as well. So they're tracking all that stuff so that people know what to expect and what's to happen. And then... Uh, that's actually a precursor to kind of what's going to happen in your area and what the wildlife's doing. So they've got some pretty cool stuff out there on researching that and how that correlates with changes in the environment and how that correlates with different things happening. So um, like if you come in, for instance, and you put in like a really nice way to like divert the river so you can have the river be bigger. You never, you know, the Arkansas River used to only be so big. You had the bridge at Darnell over there yeah. that you could basically step across it. There's people that are alive today back then in the 50s and 60s where they did the the, the Arkansas-McKellen Navigation Project. Mm-hmm. You could actually go to the Arkansas River and just, like, step over it. It was like a little creek. And that was in, like, probably, what, the 30s, like a New Dealer era? Yeah, and then they came in and they actually did all that. Well, that changed the area totally. Oh, yeah, they flooded Russellville. Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing in Europe, too, man, like northern Europe, mm-hmm. um, like Dutch countries, Netherlands. They, um, they, they, uh, actually, so in the wars of Louis the 14th, I wanted to, I wanted to get a dramatic moment, but there, so France did invade the Netherlands at some point and the way that they, um, the way they were able to drive them out is they flooded their own their own country basically they undid a like a water project like yeah. what we're talking about like like unleash some dams and yeah. so like uh, i want to say that they brought in um dutch flood engineers after hurricane katrina hmm. to uh to provide uh like as uh consultants and to yeah. provide uh services I know, like the Tennessee Valley Authority, which was the big answer to the Great Depression. From That's Roosevelt. a New Deal era program too. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I've been going to really seriously down an LBJ hole, and he was a New Dealer. There's a story of when he met FDR for the first time, and immediately asked FDR for like an appointment. He's like, "Hey, would you appoint me to this?" But like he was LBJ was an ardent New Dealer at the in in the 30s uh when he was first uh, coming up as a politician late 30s when mm. FDR was still alive so like pre world war 2 yeah LBJ was a gangster dude in a lot of ways I'm not saying he killed Kennedy but he was a gangster 
So on your YouTube channel now that you now that you've been doing this, have you noticed any changes? Any new, any it's, positive stuff coming? Yeah, around? you know, I've I got a few comments rolling through. Like I still read comments because I don't get a ton of them, but yeah. it's still super early. Like my goal here, so I've been doing that podcasting masterclass. My goal now is to do five podcasts a week. So I'm doing. I did five. I did. I didn't do five last week. I did three last week. I'm doing three this weekend, and I have a couple of solo podcasts that I've done that I haven't uploaded because I need to finish one more, and they go in chronological order. And I, like, paused one, and I was going to finish it, and um, then I recorded the next two, and I don't want to upload them out of sequence. <laughs> so. so let me ask. This might seem kind of like a silly question, but just from people listening. So quality over quantity, right? So um, – do people resonate more like your top podcast, for instance, like, you know, how stuff works or the manliness show, that, Rogan, yeah, all those people. Yeah. They, that, that work like the how to videos are big. Yeah. So you've got all these people out there. It's like Rogan, the Rogan experience, right? Or Jocko, which I, I, I like the Jocko podcast. Jocko's myself. the man, dude. Good. Good. Discipline equals freedom. You know, I just, yeah. man, dude sounds like super intense. It's he's pretty an inspiring awesome. guy. I love him. Yeah. He's got a, you know, he did a, uh, Side note, he did a, a track on iTunes, right? And so you can download his albums, which is basically him telling you to get after it. He just has like the good morning wake up. Nice. And it comes on. It's like 30 seconds. They get out of bed and get after it. Don't stay in bed. You know, basically they're yelling at you. It's yeah. supposed to motivate you to do better. And I just, it's like 15 bucks. I didn't pay for it, but I was like, all right, because it's free on YouTube. Dude, diversification <laughs> is big. Yeah. I think that, right? Um one thing, like, so I got the five podcast a week idea from the podcasting masterclass. And part of that is, like, is building an audience. So, like, I am noticing a correlation and then consistency of upload. So I'm doing guest spots. I'm doing solo cast. And I'm doing, I'm going to start, and I have been. I've got a couple that I have in iMovie that I'm editing right now that are clips. Yeah. So, like, um, I've had, like, three podcasts total that I've, I know for sure I'm pulling these clips. And one's me talking about something. One's a guest. To, and the other two are guests doing readings. So I'm going to pull those. So those will be super small, right? I put yeah. everything into playlist. That's another thing. So, like, that YouTube autoplay feature, right? Yeah. That's that's what uh, another thing. But... It's just logic to find that, like I said, um, you know, that all the articles and blogs out there tell you that audio on video platforms gets the fewest number of hits. And on the video platform, I'm not seeing that, you know? Yeah. So, but, so I'm doing, I am doing some audio. I'm going to start doing phone calls. I'm going to, I'm, I'm figuring out how to do this side chain on my mixer. And that's really not that hard to do. So, like when I was on, I did, uh, Chris Thompson's podcast he, he, that was on the phone. So I'm going to experiment with like doing a phone podcast or maybe like Joe Rogan's even done a Skype podcast. I bought a digital audio recorder that I'm picking up probably today or Monday. It's in. Maybe he said it's coming in today. So I'll probably, I may have to check. I may pick it up Monday because I got that other podcast. But another thing is I have five shows really. It's all one podcast. So, like, you're a Life Unraveled guest. Yeah. You're number 14. Well, I but feel special. I've had... She's been number one. I know, man. Just saying. 
you're a busy guy. I know. Doing things. That, uh, Saving you know. the world, dude. Yeah. Every, one day at a time. Yeah, no, we're, and we're both super, super busy, busy people. Sometimes we pass each other in the morning on our way to do whatever at like 6.30, four, yeah. 5 o'clock. Dude, morning. I've, I know I've seen you before 5.30 a.m. At a, at a stoplight, and we're <laughs> like, like right there in front of the university, and we're passing each other. It's like, hey. <laughs> How you doing? But no, nah, man, I get up at like 4.30 is when I set my first alarm, and then uh, at 4.35 is my second alarm. So I snooze the first, then I snooze the second, and by the, snooze, by the time the snooze goes off from the first one, I'm totally so, pissed off at the alarm, so I just get up. I'll tell you something funny is uh, there's a book out there I was reading uh, called uh, The Five-Second Rule, Mel Robbins. Anyway, she had a thing on sleep in there, and she was talking about, you know, when your alarm goes off, you're coming out of your sleep cycle. So if you actually reset your alarms, the research that she was presenting says that it's going to take you another 90 minutes to be fully functioning. If you hit the snooze button, cause you actually enter into another sleep cycle. Mm-hmm. So it takes you 90 minutes just to kind of come out of it. Now we think we do, I guess, cause I know I hit the snooze button every morning. Like mine goes off at four thirty-five, and four forty-five is my target get out of bedtime. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I know that I do that, but that hour and a half, 90 minutes, I never have thought about it. I've been trying to pay attention to it the last, couple months because I read that book back in the falls and uh, some truth to that. Like if I get up right when my first alarm goes off, I'm actually a little more active earlier in the day. And then if I wait and hit the snooze like once or twice, I'm a little more groggy and takes me a little more coffee to get going after that. Kind of weird. Yeah. I've got a coffee. Yeah. I just remembered. I may go get that here in a second. So, (laughs) So back. So the question on quality versus quantity. So, Michael Hyatt was one of the first people to reach a million viewers or followers on his uh, social media stuff back in the day. Yeah. And I say back in the days when I was PO for Russellville, I had to study this stuff. And uh, he did a, a book he released. And I remember reading about it and going through some of his stuff online. And he was talking about consistency. And so the question I've always had is consistency, right? So I can't produce world-class memes or gifs or gifs or produce world-class Limited. material. Yeah. Maymays every time I put something out, right? So I might do five things a week to create consistency. Just, dude, so. it's just like the Jordan stat. Yeah. Right? Like how many times Jordan threw the ball up versus the how many times he scored points. Yeah. He threw the ball up a whole bunch and didn't score. Like <laughs> an insane amount. Like the number of minutes. I'm going to pull up that stat right now, but go ahead. Get with what you're saying. I think, I think that's the answer because it's like one of those things, you know, as a – so people listening, they're like entrepreneurs or people out there listening to this, you know, kind of wondering about, you know, yeah, I can do a YouTube channel, but then people get caught up, I think, in this idea that you've got to produce world-class art that's going to go viral every time you upload it, right? Yeah. But only certain people can do that because only certain people have the followership to make that happen. So as you're doing this process or you're going through it, I didn't know if there was anything that you're in your master class or that you're looking at that talked about that or address the issue of quality over quantity or consistency versus it's big on consistency. That's why I got the five a week thing. And so you have consistent uploads. So like, even if I upload a clip, so like today, like, so I might not get that fifth one. Like I'll get that fifth one this week by doing those, by finishing out that one audio, I'll actually get six this week. But, um, 
That is a thing. I mean, and that's why I'm wanting to start doing the clips. I've even considered doing the clips on another channel, but I'm going to keep them on my channel for now because I'm building the, the gyms YouTube in a similar way. So I have 171 videos on the gyms YouTube right now. So, you know, come uh, come back on the podcast. We'll do a ju judo unravel when I have a thousand videos. My goal is for one year from this month to have 250 uh, podcasts. So yeah. by March of 2019 to have 250 episodes. My my original goal was 100 in the first year. I'm going to crush that. So one way or another. So but I have these five spots. So that allows me to diversify in terms of I'm, I haven't done the first one yet, but I'll start getting on those uh, super quick because I've been doing tons of research. I mean, and I mean, I've probably done over 40 hours of research this year on this 1968 project I'm doing. And fortunately, probably next semester, I'll get to teach U.S. history too, so I'll get to, I'll get to lecture on that same stuff. I'm going to use some of those things as lecture notes, but all on this LBJ stuff. So history unraveled. I just think after the show where I just do TV and movie reviews. So we've done a Little few clips of, those. of those. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, like anything in that, like one time we were doing one of those and we talked about everything. It should have just been like, a, then there's the life unraveled. So that's yeah. just like, we're life unraveled right now. So you're the life unraveled guest this week. I'm trying, so I'm trying to do a life unraveled guest every week and then the music unraveled. So we're, we're reviewing concerts that we went to see. So like, I'm going to go see a perfect circle in Dallas. That's so going to be a good one. That'd be nice. Uh, I've seen Dave Matthews here in a few weeks. So do you, um, are you taking your guest with you? That's going to come back and talk about it or how, how does that work for you? Sometimes like booty and I've gone to, I could have gone to Avid brothers the other night, but it was in Tulsa and Cora's out of town and uh, I would have had to move my schedule around. It was just going to stress me out. And, um, so I was like, nah, I'm just going to, just going to hold off, but he went, so he's going to come on and talk about that today. Um, but, uh, sometimes uh, it's that, or sometimes we just like sit down and we're listening to a band on the TV, like one of my long-term goals, uh, and by like in the next, so like over the next year, I'm trying to monetize the podcast. And so we got on Spotify, yeah. so I'll get pays per play, but I'm trying to get YouTube monetization. I'm trying to get some sponsors that I could like. So when I did a little intro for you, I'll be like, listen here, cocksuckers. <laughs> <laughs> That's how Joey Diaz like starts his podcast. And then he's reading, uh, then he's like Burger King chicken sandwiches, you know? And it's uh, so he did, like ads at the beginning, but it's like, it's like the Joe Rogan experience. Yeah, a podcast yeah. doesn't hit you with a ton of ads. And, um, man, it's cool. Cause I'm learning about podcasts. I did this master class. I was, I was hoping that I was like, man, I was considering doing a pod, uh, not a master class for film. Yeah. And I still may. There, there's a way you can get an annual subscription. And uh, I may do that. It's super cheap, too, man. It's That's like 180 cool. bucks. Yeah. And I paid like 30 bucks for the Adam Carolla podcasting master class. But there's one on there with Scorsese and Ron Howard yeah. and comedy with it's Steve It's like Martin. legit people that are at the top of the game. Like, let me tell you how I did it. And you're like. Yeah, let's look up what it's all. It's like 20 bucks. You're like, oh, sweet. Master class, man. That's a pretty sweet deal. There's a bunch of master classes. one on writing. Um, I wish Gordon I would have thought Ramsey. of master class, man. Yeah. Because that would have been great. We could, this could have been us. Could, yeah. But that's too, man. Side hustles. I'm just trying to fall. I was my idea to do this, for, to do a podcast for over a year. So what's interesting, Forbes magazine just had an article come out about side hustles and they called it side hustles. 
and they were talking about people that have business or in business or whatever. And they said the goal in life is to make your side hustle, which is what you'd like to do, what you want to do, make it your main hustle, right? So yeah. you work at it till you get it where you want to. So it was pretty interesting to talk about like the new entrepreneur, man. It's all about side hustles becoming your main hustle. Well, I think this too more than anything. And like I'm just stealing and then repeating something that Joe Rogan said that I guess said that I watched both of those episodes. Um, <clears throat> so Sturgill Simpson was recently on. And um, he was saying, he's like, I'm not in the music business. I'm in the Sturgill Simpson business. And that's just it. Like, I can't actually brand myself as Brian Wilson because that's already a dude in the Beach Boys. I mean, I can't, like, make any social media page. There was an issue. I had to submit to Facebook when I made my Brian Wilson jiu-jitsu when I was competing all the time and sponsored um, when I made my Brian Wilson jiu-jitsu page for, on social media for like, uh, shout outs and to sponsors and stuff like that. Uh, and just sharing about competitions and videos, but, um, they were like, Hey, well, you can't use this name. You're not, you can't make a, a page that's a, a part of That's an organization or a fan page or anything like that with Brian Wilson, the name. There's no websites with my name. That's so like, you're not a beach boy? Well, because that guy's got everything on lock. Oh, yeah. And it'll be on lock even after he passes away. You like know, Elvis Presley's on lock forever. Yeah. You know, so I'm probably never going to get those domains. But, like, <clears throat> we do – so I'm doing a Sports Unraveled playlist in YouTube. But we've I've done three Jiu-Jitsu Unraveleds, and I've done seven MMA shows. So while you're the 14th guest on Life Unraveled, there's 20 – or I'm sorry, there's 10 other episodes, 11 other episodes, not 10. Um, then the Sports Unraveled playlist between Jiu-Jitsu and MMA, we're going to do a boxing episode here soon. So it's really just like everything I'm already involved in. And then, too, just like sitting down with cool people. Like it's a great way to decide. I was like thinking earlier, I was like, oh, I just sit down and talk with my friends. They're super busy, and they can justify it because it's a super new hipster thing called a podcast. <laughs> I don't know if it's a new hipster, but yeah. Just be it. like, hey, I, man, I've got yeah. an appointment. I'm going to be on a podcast. And people, like, you tell them that, and they're like, oh, cool. Yeah. You know, like, it's not I – w- I, when I hear that, I wouldn't be like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You know, like, what podcast? But everybody, that's just kind of – particularly people on commutes. But two, some people from my generation are listening to podcasts on these commutes on YouTube yeah. instead of doing audio downloads and stuff. You need to get, do you need to make any phone oh, calls? Oh, dude, we're good, man. I'm, I'm going to go grab my coffee real quick if you do. I think you and should. And we can pause or edit or whatever, but I'm, I, I meant to get a drink before we started the podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and grab it real quick. All right. So. All right, got the coffee. Life's good. <laughs> Perfect temperature too. Mm. Man, why do they give you coffee so hot? Uh, we got a gas station coffee before, and it was like four thousand degrees, like burning through your flesh if you spill it on you. Remember the Walmart? Uh, no, the McDonald's, McDonald's lawsuit. Yeah, like fifteen million for a burn, coffee. Burn somebody's lap off. <laughs> <laughs> It's coffee, man. It's hot. It's like common sense, it, it you is. know. I always actually get a cold brew, but I actually get it with no ice. You do the nitro brew, though, don't you? A lot of times. There's a way more caffeine in that than there is a normal coffee. You're though. damn right uh, there is. <laughs> it's like, yeah, legal drug addiction, man. Cool stuff. Yeah. You know, um, uh, Mormons will not uh, take any caffeine in. 
Really? Yeah. Because it makes your body do weird things? Are they worried about stepping off that slippery slope? I don't know. Um, I could be incorrect on that. I know I know for a fact I feel like they won't drink green tea. But mm. I also feel like I sold some spark to a guy um, one time that was a Mormon, uh, and he said that he could have it, and it had caffeine in it. It has a little bit. So they might be able to drink coffee. Maybe they haven't discovered pre-workout yet or put it on their banned substance list. Yeah, I wonder <laughs> if that's how that works, like a banned substance yeah. list. Yeah, the Mormons got a list they send you every week. Don't do this. <clears throat> yeah, so what we are talking about, master classes and podcasting and stuff. Uh, so I'm going to need more equipment to do some of the things I want to do. That's know? how it is, man. We did our fi- a, f- a fight companion the other night. That that went to the Sports Unraveled, so we bought the UFC. So as I was saying, if you want to watch the on the fight pass, the Ortega fight, um, and I can throw it up. But so like, what I'm going to try and figure out how to do now is to split the audio. I want uh, I want the audio coming from the mixer, from the TV. Is it from the the TV into the mixer and then into our headphones and does not record. But I'm also going to start recording like when we play songs and stuff because when it goes out onto the audio platforms, I don't have to deal with those copyright issues. Yeah. It's just YouTube that I don't want it to record. So I want it to record on the digital recorder that I'm going to be having next week instead of my Mac. So then I'll eventually need to get um, my own dedicated computer, which is what this one's pretty much become. But I don't want this computer to be the podcast computer. It might be, but I need another one. So I'm probably going to – I'm thinking about building one for the studio that has the hard drive storage, the processing power, the operating system, the video, everything I need, and doing it like that. Because the reality is I want to be able to do this show or shows without a producer. I want to be able to record in multiple locations. So the digital recorder is going to allow me mobile record- recordability. And then I'm next thing I'm going to get is a portable mic. Well, and I think the producers come in because when you monetize it and all of a sudden you're just like flush with cash, you're like, hey, then, I might yeah, hire if I mean, if I this. ever were to go off-site from yeah. where we are now, well, honestly, my long-term goal is to, if you know, I, we're going to probably live here for, I would say, more than five years. Um, that that would be the plan. But let's say in five years, if we feel like we're going to live here for another five years or longer, I want to um, build gonna, a studio. Well, I want to do a carport, um, and I'll kind of when we walk out, I'll show you what all the plans are out here. We're um, getting a big load of uh, dirt brought in and about to spread a whole bunch of hay. It's about time to start mowing the yard, dude. <laughs> It is spring, man. Yeah. It'll be good, though. <laughs> but, um... Little weather yeah, change. Little, yeah, I know. And it, so I got this... I got, and that's what... Man, that's what slowed me down on that outdoor project was um, just all got hit with the cold weather and then the rain. And um, But now it's, it's getting nice outside, especially by the middle of the day, but it's still been frosting in the mornings. Well, I tell you, the weather, man, it's about change. It's about time to start putting your plants in the ground. I do gardening and stuff because we grow our own. Yeah, we see, like that's, it. man, I want to move that same direction myself. I'm trying to make this like the homestead. Yeah, so we believe in sustainability. Like, we got chickens and rabbits and stuff. I'm and trying we, to get some chickens. We do our own eggs, our compost own Compost pile. Man, it's good. We got a dog that 
Make sure they don't get eaten. That's what's important. See, man, I want to fence my yard, and I'm so paranoid about my dog. Yeah, but if you're looking at homestead or sustainability, like, you know, it's a – my recommendation for anybody, it's a process. Some people just haul off and try to do everything on the front end or whatever. Man, it's incremental. Yeah, additions. I know. We're, we may not even add chickens or garden this season. It's going to have to come, you know, because I'm still – man, we're still young. We're still getting our life lined out. Um well, I'll tell you, the way I did it is I did, uh, we did like some herbs one year, then I did container garden the next, did raised beds one year, I did raised beds, and then we added some row garden the next year. So it was like five years process for us to get to there, but through that process, it becomes, it's manageable. See, I want to do like some raised beds on, um, like seeing like my, my house kind of on a downward sloping hill. Yeah. And that's why I had all this stuff brought in to kind of give us more of a level pad and an incremental yeah. Uh, drop out there by the deck but what i want to do is get uh, is maybe uh in five years if we decide we're going to stay here pretty regularly is to build a carport with like a loft area and set that up as my studio and put some mats underneath the loft and um throw up a heavy bag and, and putting cars in there yeah put a couple cars in. i'm talking like, i'm talking like building almost like a shop yeah type carport like just big open um Probably just like uh, one big garage door that comes up that I can pull two cars into, and they'll sit right there. And then in front of that would be like, you know, everything else. Yeah. But I wouldn't really use it for um, anything other than training, podcasting. And then I can consolidate too. So like, I feel like with that model, I could have everything I want because like, I may end up moving this table too and turning it the other way uh, as I expand on things and as I get this other wall finished. But man, I feel like I'm just super into podcasting right now because I'm taking that master class. So I'm like all chatty, <laughs> chatty about it and everything. But yeah, well, that's good though. It's good to have aspirations, things. I think the the thing people people do a lot of stuff and they and they lose that uh, that drive or that motivation to do it. It's the people that can keep it after that motivation's gone. That's the trick. Is how do you, how do you take a project that you're super motivated about, and you start it, and after about two months of it, you're like, man, that's a lot of work. And it is, like, man. It starts dying down. But being disciplined and actually getting past that motivation feed. I've done t tons of things like that. I've like have petered out for me over the years, and in relation to things I'm already doing, though, you know, I mean, like pretty much, like anything with the gym is is been and stayed super consistent but we we try new business processes and they fail or don't work or try to do certain things a certain way and it's just like trying to always figure out what to do is it's pretty much what i'm focused on trying to figure out like, how to reach that market and, and two some people cannot live with it the oh that didn't work like they just struggle with it you know yeah. and i don't um and then, too, on the flip side of that, some people don't, like, legit live these unhappy lives or maybe just they're not unhappy or they they don't know why they're unhappy. But because they don't have aspirations, they're content, they don't have hobbies, they don't have anything or everything's a burden. It's like I've met people like that. And I think... I, I think that's, that's why I am the way I am with a lot of things is, like, focused on forward progression and everything i'm doing and then consistency like i played music since junior high I've, I've got a music room so like if i get a studio outside i can i can bring all of that into one location i can have like this idea of having like a sectional 
almost set up like a little living room. Yeah. And do a, do a, or, or like, or either that or like, I want like, I would like to do like multiple locations, um, or not multiple locations. Uh, that's what I'm going to do in the short term, but multiple, instead of having, Hey, let's switch camera angles and blah, blah, blah. Having one where it's like, uh, well, we're all just sitting on a couch watching the TV instead of sitting here at the table with the TV right there. Yeah. You know, or we're all, um, we're all just kind of sitting in two chairs, just kind of kick back, like in like like in a living room type setting. It's like couch, two chairs, or sitting at a table is kind of like my three visions for like backdrops and like making them their own individual things. So I don't ever plan on going more than three cameras, but then I have to get the hardware to switch between the cameras, whether that's voice activation or or by a button. So. Big dreams. Figuring out how to do Big all dreams. that, dude, is the hardest part. It's probably I was I was doing the math on it. It's pro I probably don't need twenty five hundred dollars of equipment. And dude, that's like in one year, I think that I'll be rolling in some sponsors. I think I'll be making money from ads on different on my different. So I've like I've diversified a yeah. lot, like with what I'm doing, and and the t uh, the two. Um, Two podcasts is telling you got the most views on YouTube or Jujitsu Unraveled about Hickson. Yeah. And so, like, I've just been trying to be super real with my content. It's like doing the vlogs. It's like I did these vlogs on the gym page on, like, training with Jack Toffer and training and training with Hickson. The next one I'm going to do is um, Hickson when he's promoted to Red Belt and how fucking awkward that was. Well, since you were <laughs> the guy working with him, that's going to yeah. be pretty cool. It will be. Um, and uh, what I think I you, might do. Think about it, You were the last guy to work with him. I know. I realized that when I, after he was project, dude, it was such an emotional time. I like teared up, you know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, he's going to run the red belt. Oh, yeah. You know, but I mean, I worked with him as a black and red. Yeah. And then it was Crazy. like, I was the last one. And like, I walked up to Caleb and Jack. I was like, I was, I was with Hicks and 2K when he was promoted to, to red belt. And they're like, and I drink drink says that too. He's like, you were Hicks and 2K when he told somebody <laughs> yeah. that, I think he told Donnie Aaron that. So, so yeah. World famous. Yeah. In the, yeah. the jiu-jitsu world, right? See? Yeah. Who was that guy that was at Hickson? Oh, Brian Wilson. That was me. Yeah, Navy Blue Gee. Yeah. But I'm There's just going to tell that story of that. So basically from the Navy Blue Gee forward. Yeah. What we were doing when it happened, how awkward it was when it happened, and then when he said he didn't want the promotion for like 20 minutes and all the speeches. And, and what I'm probably going to do is like watch it while I commentate on it um, on, uh, and do a podcast episode on that and then just do a vlog at the gym. And, man, I just think, too, I think free content and getting platforms like YouTube to back you. But do you, do or, you find or, it? Or, you find or it, iTunes or whatever. Yeah. Do you find it hard to to get your content, though, like as you're going through? Like, so five five podcasts a week, you know, that's five topics. Is that hard or is it just ma mainly geared toward? Not really. Cause you're, you're the topic. And I'm then the topic. you're the topic and whatever I've got going on. Yeah. And, and just like, it's just like a, like, that's why, like I said, like we maybe wouldn't get to talk this long at one time. Yeah. Uh, if, if I wasn't doing the podcast because we're it's both busy. Conversation. So it's a, it's a way, it's like almost an excuse to sit down and talk with your buddies <laughs> But to like, I have a goal. So like, I hope if I have any women listeners, which I know, I, I know I do, um, 
I've got some female guests scheduled. So um, I've got a lady named um, Christina Mello, and she is going to come on and talk about um, suicide awareness. She's been, uh, I want to say she recently had uh, something she? that get ran in the... Um, Does she work for somebody, or what's the story? She's actually a nurse. Um, Because we do that. I think April 7th, that weekend, is our Out of the Darkness walk. Really? At Tech, and it's the... One of the top ones in the country for raising money for the uh, for the American Suicide Prevention Foundation. Man, it's a really good event. Uh, what date is that? April seventh is, is the 7th. day of that walk. It's a. It'd be kind of nice if you did something tied into that. Yeah, but that, that whole, is a good idea. Well, you know, and suicides get more prevalent just around the United States and the world in general. And I think uh, as we go through with some more of this other stuff, people, I think that's that's it's only going up and. Uh, People are doing a lot of work right now to to get that number down and help people out. And uh, it's interesting. I went to a, a session in Las Vegas at a conference I attended, and they were Harvard just did a study on suicide, and it's called the Mean Study. And I didn't really realize this. You know, we always talk about you know if you want to prevent people from committing suicide, pay attention because it's not a random act. So people might start giving you their stuff. They might start acting different, changing behavior, changing their mental. Uh, their mental behavior, kind of looking at them. You can tell that something's going on with them, you know. Generally, if you have a friend or a buddy that you like or someone you hang out with, if something's bothering them, you typically know that's happening, right? Well, Harvard just released a deal, and uh, they say 70% of suicides are impulsive. So basically, you got a friend that maybe his girlfriend or somebody dumps him. I haven't heard impulsive. I've heard that these people don't show signs. So, like a lot of times, family and friends are left with this "why, why, why." It's an impulsive. It's it's because it's impulsive. So they call it impulsivity. So, seventy percent of suicides are impulsive. So, if ten people commit suicide, seven of them were kind of spur of the moment, like in the heat of the moment decisions, where they had a major life change or something occurred that was yeah traumatic event. And it could be anything from a relationship breakup to financial distress to loss of maybe position or loss of uh, stature or anything. And depending on who it is, depends on what how that affects them. And so that kind of blew my mind a little bit because I used to think of suicide as a police officer. You know, I've been to a lot of calls where people have killed themselves or they've died. I've seen a lot of dead bodies just in the line of work. I was going to actually uh, ask you about some of that, man. But, I mean, I know, right? That's got it. And I, I've met I've met cops and, and heard uh, law enforcement talk about how that's traumatic for them to deal with. The, I, just the day in, day out, like you work in suicides. Like somebody was telling me one of the very first things they had to work with a suicide is a new, as like a rookie cop. Yeah, and I think what happens is over time, there's a there's a, there's some really good information out there. You know, just in re- responders in general, we do what we call detachment. And that's called being basically emotionally detached from situations because if you're emotionally invested in a situation or emotionally charged, you can't make a good professional judgment to help resolve that situation, right? So when you go to that thing, when you first start, you know, you're trying to find your way or find how it would do because a lot of people, it's interesting in our profession, and I tell people this all the time, is you think you want to be a police officer? Man, that's great. Come apply, get on the force. Great. And you might have somebody that's like physically fit, looks like a cop, right? Puts on that uniform. You're like, man, that guy's a cop. He looks like a police officer. So put together. His yeah. boots are shiny. And then he gets yes. on the job and man, he hates it. Even though his whole life, that's what he thinks he wants to do. And then you get a guy in there that you're like, this guy's never going to make it. And it turns out, man, he's, he's the guy that he's going to be the future 
police officer's going to do a good job. He can handle the stress. He can do what he needs to do. But it's just a job. You don't know if you can do it till you get into it. And that's, that's the thing people don't understand is it's a lot, like a lot of stuff is until you're put in those situations and have to deal with that or deal with those instances or whatever, you don't know if it's going to be for you. So one of the ways we deal with a lot of that stuff is just through emotional detachment. The trick with that is there's a guy out there. It's called emotional survival for law enforcement. Uh, he wrote a book, Gilmart. I mean, it's a really good book. It's probably uh one of the number one books we actually have at our office. We have several copies, and I hand it out to my officers just so they can kind of read through it before they start the job and get on the job because we got to make sure a couple things. Number one, suicide is a huge thing for law enforcement community, right? It's a huge thing. Uh, we have one of the highest rates of suicide for profession in the United States. It just is because all the traumatic, post-traumatic stress stuff you go through, all the stuff you see, you know, it's a lot to handle. Um, so it's just a high rate of suicide for our profession. Uh, the other thing is, is we tend to take that emotional detachment and we apply it to our family, our personal lives, our friends. And so uh, you're never, yeah, I know. And the job, yeah. right. And you're never invested. So you find with the emotional attachment, you never get invested in anybody. So like a good example is like your wife or your kids. I mean, I, I love my wife and my kids, but I've got to make a conscious effort to make sure that I, I spend time with put them. The, and yeah, put the time put in. Put the time in and have that relationship because they need that because a lot of that, I mean, that affects people's lives so much. And then the other thing is, is, you know, uh, we have what's called gallows humor. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Like, we'll make fun of shit or stuff that yeah. you probably shouldn't make fun of, right? Like dead bodies. Like Joey Diaz. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll say, yeah, you'll make fun of child. I mean, you make fun of a lot of things because it's actually a form of coping. It's a coping, coping mechanism. Yeah. 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 So we... Damn. Nothing, yeah, nothing's taboo in our in our world a lot of times, and uh, it would be considered a hostile work environment probably by like Title Nine or like some equal employment opportunity standards. Hey, I had to do the Title Nine training, bro. Let me tell you right now. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and so when we look at stuff like that, it's just the way we cope with stuff through gallows humor or through uh, detachment from situations. And the trick for us is just to make sure that we uh, we have some some mechanisms or some methods in place to help. And so if, if people out there and they're listening to this and they're kind of wondering like, man, what do you mean mechanisms or what do you mean you can do some, some of the best stuff I've heard is uh, uh, people like us in our profession, you know, they have a, uh, what they call positive self-talk where basically mm -hmm. you have to uh, tell yourself good stuff and it's not, it's not a load of crap, but basically it's telling yourself what you need to do and visualize yourself being successful and how you do stuff. Otherwise, when you go to a call and you imagine yourself on a call or you imagine yourself in a situation that's like people shooting at you or you imagine worst yourself in worst-case crisis stuff, you have to think about that before you go because when you get in there and that stress hits you, you got to visualize yourself winning. And there's stories of officers out there, uh, Oak Creek, Wisconsin, the, the ski uh, temple shooting out there, uh, Lieutenant Brian Murphy was there. He got shot 15 times God. on that call, right? And uh, I heard him talk at a at a conference I went to and uh, that visualization, positive self-talk, building yourself up, he was on that concrete being shot. And the whole time he's thinking, he's like, how do I kill this guy? How do I kill him? He used the word. How do, I, how do I take this guy out? And he's crawling under a car to get away from him. And in the end, uh, he lived. Three days later, he walked out of the hospital. Damn, that's some 50-cent <laughs> stuff right there, dude. Yeah, because as, as he's on that, uh, on that concrete, he has this thought. He goes, I'm not going out like this. I'm not dying in this parking lot. Yeah, the will to, to live yeah. is so underemphasized, I feel, man. Like, you know, like how many stories I've heard of a, like a deer getting shot 
and then running like a hundred yards, like a bullet through its heart, <laughs> you know, it's, um, will to live. Uh, and you see it, we say, I think we see it in nature a lot more. Yeah. But, um, see it in prison. Yeah. It's weird. Like you have, you have stories of officers getting shot with a non-fatal life wound with a 22 or 32 or a small caliber bullet and dying. And then you got somebody in prison get shanked 42 times. Yeah. And they're like sitting on the table talking to you like me and you are like nothing happened. Man, Danny Dring was telling me that um, 22s kill more people uh, than any other caliber of weapon. Is that true? Yeah. For the FBI studies that they do, FBI releases a he study. He is an expert on those FBI stats, dude. It's like Damn. he sits around and reads them at night or you something. Sh- you should. They're fun. Yeah, that's where you need to get your <laughs> That's where you need to get your information. It seems like that's probably the most legit source that never gets pulled from in the media. Well, it's like, you know, everybody is talking about, you know, there's been 18 school shootings since January. Yeah. Really, there's, there's only been three. clickbait, dude. There's been three in the United States. Which sucks. Because no one's checking the data. No one checks it, runs it, does what they're supposed to. Someone says it, and they assume it's right. And that's not that's not accurate. And I think that's a problem with a lot of things is people aren't looking into these situations to see what they need to do. And, like, 22s do kill more people than any other caliber, according to the FBI study that they release and then it's it's good information if if you if you like that kind of thing and it for me it applies to my job and my, my professional life and so it's important for me to have that information and know that stuff because you know as you're making decisions out there and you go to a call or you do something or you're training officers to make those decisions they need that information because that could be the difference between them pulling the trigger at a lethal encounter or holding back a little bit and making a decision not to pull the trigger based on some information coming out as far as what's happening, right? Yeah. So uh, you remember the knockout game they had where people were just walking down the street and yeah. they would just punch somebody randomly yeah. to knock them out? That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. Did right that happen there. around here? Uh, we had like one instance of it that I know of at, at the school. But other than that, uh, I only know of one instance that was reported. But something like that, people watch that stuff. And then, do you see like so real quick? So we were talking about suicides a second ago. Do you see uh, that? Has um, that been an issue at like local schools uh, past the secondary education level? Oh yeah, for sure. I think it's more it's more prevalent nowadays. You know, we had someone about four weeks ago did it, and it was one of those deals where uh, like on the campus, off campus, okay. at his apartment, he's gone through some major life changes. Uh, went and got a firearm from his roommate and took his own life you know it wasn't his firearm he got his roommate's firearm and some issues there obviously just talking about gun security and making Mm -hmm. sure you know where your weapon is one of mine is right under my mattress for when you come into my house and kill you the the easily yeah Uh, the 22 and the shotgun are also within arm's reach so don't come here yeah so when i was on swat team i was always we were always taught to search the couch like if i arrest somebody put them in handcuffs i'm going to sit them in the house whenever uh after we do our search I actually, before I put them anywhere, I have to search that area because a lot of people that are criminals mm, or that's suspects, a good idea. they actually hide stuff under cushions of their couch, hands behind them. Next thing you know, this guy's got a gun and you're in a bad situation, right? One you could have avoided had you just done a precursory search of that couch or that immediate area before you set them down. So, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there you got to think about. Just little, little things that if you miss could cost you your life in the end. But on the suicide thing, yeah, we find that um, people... Around this area, it's it's happened several times. Everything from hanging to shooting, a lot of different instances, a lot of different methods. Well, that is a thing on these gun um, gun stats that are coming out. 
is they had this many deaths, a lot of times that they will report an accurate statistic, but they don't break it down. So it, it makes it almost a fallacy to say it in the way that they do because they'll say X number of uh, deaths in the United States were by guns. And you immediately assume crime, people killing each other on the streets, drive-by shooting. That's like, that's the mental image I got. Actually, the majority of those gun-related deaths are suicide. Yeah. The majority, so more than 50%. So the American Pediatric Society that said he's death from kids from like zero all the way up to, I think it's 18 or 21. I'm trying to think what the, what the death statistics was. They reported over 1,500, 1500 children were killed by a weapon. Uh, last year, right? And of that, about 3,900 children were injured by weapons. So firearms is the third leading cause of death in children in well, the United States. Out of, outside of that, it's like, I wonder, I mean, it is, it's probably a small number, but uh, you break that down, it's like a lot of those are accidental. Exactly. And that's, that's I think that's the thing is, is firearm deaths where people commit suicide firearms, a lot of times it's where they get the firearm from somebody else or they get the firearm from some other place, right? So, you know, I'm a concealed carry instructor, and I teach the class, and I have a big portion in that class I teach on uh, safe storage of your firearm because mm, two things, idea. right? I can teach my children how to be safer on guns. They can shoot. They can be accurate. You know, they could be next caliber level shooters and all that good stuff. That's great, right? And then I can teach them how to store a gun, or not to touch a gun, have, have a safe at my house that's fireproof, one of those big mamajamas that you can't move without a truck. One. It's good, but what happens when they go to their buddy's house? Are they on the same page that we're on? See, one time I fucked up, man. My yeah. buddy came over, and I was like, hey, come check out my dad's twenty two Magnum. And I just kind of, like, it was just like, I didn't even think about it because I was checking out my dad's twenty two Magnum all the time. I have the same twenty two Magnum to this day. Yeah. It's one of those guns I just mentioned. <laughs> and... uh but it was like the buddy that was over at my house, like he hunted too. Like we grew up hunting. We grew up in the woods with our dads. And I was like, yeah, check this out. Like I, I want to say it just got it or something. But I mean, I'm like eight or 10 years old. And it was just kind of like, what the fuck are you doing bringing <laughs> your buddy in here to my gun cabinet, man? Yeah. You know? And, you, you know, I didn't even think about it. I was just an innocent little child, Dad. I'm sorry. So when I was in high school, a friend of mine, they were, uh, he was 17 at the time, over his base house, they were 16. For some reason, they thought it was good to play chase through the house. And they were running through their house, and he is a two-story house. Guy runs into the bathroom, the buddy of mine, and he locks the door. Well, his buddy's chasing him with a shotgun, trips on the stair, hit the no. ground. Yeah, killed him. He died at 17 from uh, being shot by a shotgun from a 16-year-old, right? And so it's one of those where, like, it's like, what the, you know, and uh, both of them were kind of messed up because they were running through a house with a gun, but didn't know how to make sure it was unloaded. What the hell was he chasing somebody with it through the house for just playing tag? You know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's like, you know, with my kids, and that's one of my fears is they go over for a sleepover, right? And I know at my house, all my stuff's locked up, but you don't know if Man, what yeah, someone else is doing. that's a great point. So we always teach our children that, you know, uh, Everybody likes the NRA, but they got a really good children's program. And uh, they got coloring books, Eddie Eagle, some stuff like that. And basically, they put out some good material for children and uh, gun safety, which is basically like our advice always is 
and as PIO at Russellville and doing those children's program and doing for college students, it's it's the same advice. Like if you walk into an area and you see a gun and you don't know what the hell it's there for, leave. And we always tell like kids, like find a responsible adult. Don't find the 12 year old on the couch. That's watching, you know, SpongeBob and, you know, sitting there doing weird stuff. That's not responsible. You need to find an adult that's responsible. Hey, there's a gun on the bed. Cause if they leave the area and don't touch it, it's going to help them not be injured by it when their friend's playing with it. And so I think a lot of that could be prevented with just some good education and parents storing well, that's why you come up with like plans for all these different things. Like you're in a restaurant or you go to a restaurant, like common stuff, like there's a fire in the house and it's nighttime. Like you have a plan for all of that. Yeah. And so we call that a family action plan. And so like I'm paranoid or my Fap. wife, my wife would say paranoid. I just say, prepared i think that's the way i like to say that paranoid i'm paranoid and uh you know it's it's pretty simple like you go to let's say you go to a local restaurant in town like so and someone comes to the front door and they have bad intentions on that place and you have to get the hell out where are you going what's your secondary exit yeah so uh a lot of times you know i'll get up i'll go to the bathroom not because i have to use the bathroom but because i want to go walk the restaurant real quick go to the restroom I'll go in the restroom, I'll come out, and I'll check the. I'll look in the kitchen door as I pass and see if there's a door back there. But, you know, I'm just basically trying to say, hey, where's where? how am I getting out of this place? What's my secondary method of escape, right? And where am I seated compared to that, you know? People always say, like, you read the, the blogs about wives talking about their, their officer husbands. Like, I know when I go in a restaurant, I got to let him sit with his back to the wall and make sure yeah. he has a total view. You're blah, that blah. guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm the guy. But I think that's that's good. I don't think it's bad. Um, I've yet to have to worry about it, but I like to think I'm prepared in case I do. And I teach my children lessons too. And I think it's important to have those conversations because if my kids get those habits when they're young about just checking stuff and being prepared and being situationally aware, that's the biggest thing, right? Situational awareness can never be understated. I know. Right. That's why I've been jacking with everybody with this right here. (laughs) The circle game. You looked right here on camera. Um, <laughs> because I have to look, cause I have to know if there's a weapon in your hand. Or peripheral what's going awareness on. training. That's right. Yeah. No. A train called neural uh, neuro linguistic programming, where you have an action you do just to program yourself to set the mood for your OODA loop. Yeah. So. I was talking about primacy and recency earlier today. That's another one I really invest heavily in. In a stressful situation, you're going to go or revert to the things you first learned. Or in whatever that is that you're going through and the things you last learned. Yeah, it's people, the two things you draw from. All that stuff in the middle maybe doesn't even exist. Yeah, we tell officers, you know, we train officers all the time and train thousands of officers in the course of my career. It's one of those where you don't rise to the occasion of you don't rise to the occasion you default to your lowest level of training. And people don't like that. They're like, Yeah, what do you mean? It's like, people don't like this either. practice makes perfect, right? Yeah. Wrong. Perfect practice makes perfect. But there is no perfect. If you so. practice something and do it wrong, like that, <laughs> <laughs> you'll suck at it. You know what I'm saying? But, too, there's a lot to be said for uh, grinding it out, like you were saying uh, earlier when we are talking about consistency. Just consist, like, you know, when you put in 16 years on a job or 20 years on a mat or whatever it is. It's like I'm coming up on when we hit i guess what when i hit 2019 i'll be a i'll be have done martial arts and jiu-jitsu for 12 years so like man it's just like once you spend that much time doing any activity 
or you know, sometimes it is it is quantity related. Like two hundred and fifty podcasts. I'm gonna. I mean, I'm already getting like way more relaxed with doing it, and the more relaxed I am, the more relaxed you'll be. Yeah, you know? well, I'm super nervous right now. I just want you to know. I, I'm sure you can tell. Really? No, I'm not. Yeah, no. I was <laughs> like, dude. Uh, but man, some people, some people are. I have, I haven't had an issue with it or anything. But and then sometimes I'm like, uh, you, you know, it's really my job to like steer the conversation or whatever. But also, I kind of find that there are no jobs in here, <laughs> and that it, you, you can't force th- things. You know, like. We might have things that it's the goal to talk about, but like uh, I could joke around about this about my first guest, Jesse Weiss. He's going to come back for a couple more episodes at least because he's been to 21 national parks. He's got a lot of cool stories about that, and he's doing a documentary film right now about the Buffalo River. Uh, is but, he has he done a documentary film before? Or is this his uh, first crack? Maybe at it? he had a podcast at one point. He's a sociology professor at University of the Ozarks. So. Great dude. Yeah. His first guest on my podcast and um it was funny because we're like, Yeah, we're gonna talk about national parks and Trump's downsizing the parks and we're gonna talk about that, you know, and we just talked about Star Wars for two and a half hours, <laughs> dude. The whole time we talked about Star Wars. But so I should have just made that an after the show episode, Star Wars review. Yeah. Because we both just talked about The Last Jedi. But, you know, that gives us, uh, I mean, man, the things that we're all interested in gives us an outlet, you know. Um, I know we talked about, um, we were going to talk about different stuff, but, I mean, this is like we're talking about you and we're talking about what we both got going on right now, that primacy and recency, the stuff we've been doing for years and the stuff we're doing right now. And I think a lot of it is people don't realize a lot of stuff you do is perishable, right? So you did martial arts when you were a kid, right? Those people come out. I did it for like 10 years, man. I was 18. I was a black belt. Well, that's great. Well, you're 42 now. So can you still kick over your head or do an axe kick? I mean, what's the the story with with your life, right? And did you grapple when you were in that 10 years? Well, no, we didn't do a lot of groundwork. Well, then you probably need to do that. So it's all perishable skills, and I think people don't think about Um, that. There was a guy the other day talking about how his wrestling – like went away because he didn't wrestle enough during a fight camp. Yeah. And he's like a stud wrestler, you know? And it's like just, and I think a lot of that on the training side has the, I'm sure you see this with, um, handguns too, uh, with training with, uh, mm-hmm. like whether it's in concealed or, and that is one thing that I think there needs to be some sort of mandated training. Like, but there's nothing in place for that, I don't think. I mean, yeah. it's like what I worry about is people going to see uh, like somebody like you getting it concealed, and then that's like the only time they go to the range is with you, it and is. you don't see them. And, uh, and then they don't go to the range again. You maybe see them five years later when they recertify. But I think it's just an issue um, that people don't get that handgun practice. So, when, how, so there's not the, that level of safety. It's like you were saying, like, Oh, there's a gun left out on the bed or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's that might be a thing. That was a thing at my house growing up, you but, know. And I, but I think our backgrounds lend us to know the value of training. So, like, you did martial arts for twelve years. You train. Hey, you probably doesn't get your black belt in jujitsu and get promoted. Yeah, which be, month, dude. It'd be awesome, dude. I'm so excited for you. Oh, thanks, man. It'd be awesome. But uh, so you're getting that. So I mean, and that's a goal. And so you understand that to get that it's, the black belt's not a gimme, man. You got to bust your butt to get it, you know. And if you're an Olympic-level athlete, once the Olympics is over, you're not training that way anymore. 
like Travis Stevens on his blog, he talks about it. He says, you know, I still train rough. He goes, but I don't do Olympic level training to yeah. make myself better. But we have that training background. And so what happens is, is you get into these conversations with people. I won't call them arguments, but conversations about, you know, your second amendment right is to carry, to own firearms. And I think that's great. I never want to ever impede anybody's second amendment constitutional right. I think that's super important. But also I think that if you're going to carry concealed or you're going to carry a weapon, you got to do yourself the, the respect Due of diligence. training. Yeah. And uh, a good example, like for my firearms, is um, I carry a firearm for a living. I'm a police officer. It's what I do. And so we've got the ability. I'm a copper. So I get to carry my gun anywhere I want to go, except for a federal building or some other places where it'd be trouble if I did. But I make it a point every morning before I put my, I put my gun in my holster, whatever I'm carrying that day. And then I'll do, I'll do 10 dry fire drills where I draw from my holster and I go through that process. Right. Keep you in the mirror. Yes, I do. I look at myself and make, do you make a face? Yeah. I make a serious, like kissy face. Oh, no. Okay. This one's going to be blue steel. (laughs) Yeah. This one will be La Tigra. Yeah. So I, I do that because the first time I draw my gun, if I ever get in a situation on the day, or I have to you draw my gun. The first time that day. That's exactly. such a good idea. But same thing goes for concealed people. Like, for instance, uh, people buy holsters and they buy a really expensive gun for like 500 bucks and they spend like $10 on this holster, which is, which is fine. But like, if I have an inside of the waistband holster, right? And I've, I've got a really good quality holster now. I mean, I've, I've, I'll, well, that's not now, but I've always had, I always, I spend like 75, 80 bucks on holsters. I don't really, my, to me, it's part of the gun cost. But, if I draw, I think so. You need to take that? No, freaking telemarketers calling me from local numbers. Yeah. So, like, on my concealed carry, so here's people, like, for instance, on my holster, if I go to the range and I go to the range and I draw, it's really good. But what happens inside the waistband holster when you start drawing it a lot, your you shirt. shoot your dick off. Your shirt comes untucked. Okay, yeah, People don't so, realize yeah, it. Because yeah. inside the waistband. So when I do, like, 10 draws with it, about the 10th or 11th draw, I got to stop, tuck my shit back in redo my gun, put it back in the holster. And like that codex sits right above my belt line because if it sits below my belt, when I draw my weapon, the belt actually curls over the top of my holster Mm. and I can't safely reholster the weapon. So you got to make sure your holster sits correctly. I have a good grip when I draw my weapon and that since it's inside the waistband, I got to make sure my grip is good. So as I draw, I clear my holster. I don't shoot myself in my butt. And I've got good placement. And as I so draw, what you do like a behind the back, like a cross draw. Is that what you're saying? No, I do a. Uh, I carry about the three o'clock to four o'clock range on me because I'm a. I've got a little uh, extra extra stuff in the front. So appendix carry, which is like the fastest way to draw, um, is really good. But I've got a bumper plate up there, so I actually have to carry on my four. I carry about my four o'clock position on my on my right side, and I can reach it with both hands there. So that's another consideration to think about. Yeah, kind of next to your wallet. Or something uh, like that, right? Yeah, it's a little in front. Because when I sit in a chair, I don't like the weapon pushing in my back. Yeah, kind of between your wallet and your side. Yeah. And so it's more like halfway between the appendix carry and a 4 o'clock. So it's good times. Dude, um, I, I'll play this for Cora, but so on this LBJ stuff, I was listening to this thing where LBJ calls this Taylor as president. He's like, I'm going to need some of those slacks you guys made me. Those are for, for summer pants and... um. This is what I want. Now I want the pockets to be, uh, and he's like, "Hold on." And then there's like this big long pause. He comes back and he's like, like burps, and he's like, 
all right, I want, you know, my money and my knife fall out. I want the pockets to be an inch longer. And then also, uh, you know, I, I fluctuate 10 or 15 pounds uh, on a month to month. So I want the waist to be an in, half inch here. And he's just talking to this tailor that in Texas yeah. that made him some pants. And um, he's like, I need more of the pants. And he's like, and then too, so, you know, like when I'm a little heavier, they kind of cut me like sitting on a fence uh, uh, up, you know, where my ball sack hangs uh, all the way back to my bunghole. <laughs> and like, this is our our freaking president. And I was like, you got cool. I played for Corey. And she was like, what the hell? And I was like, yeah, you thought Donald Trump was kind of crude. Huh? <laughs> like, I mean, he wasn't saying I'm going to grab him by the pussy or whatever. But he was uh, he was talking about like. Here's he, that's how our president describes to his tailor on the yeah. phone who he's like the guy he's talking to is like the son of the tailor he's never even met. Yeah. Like your your president calls you and says bunghole on the yeah. on the telephone, dude. What is that? Uh well, and the, you know just like the you know this is kind of an example of the tailor conversation, like I want stuff that's comfortable. Yeah, you kind of need special tailored stuff. But if you yeah, and I think people you can go out and you can spend a lot of money on a uh, on a firearm, like you're spending four. Well, you're wearing kind of a tactical shirt right there, aren't you? A little no, bit. It's no, a, my fishing shirt, man. It's Under Armour. It's got a little breathe holes on the back. Well, see, I think like that's been a move I've seen. Like a lot of law enforcement type people I know is going to like tactical training pants and and just different things that that are suitable yeah. for them to be like boots they can run in, but also that are durable and comfortable pants that you can you know carry in yeah. and. And so I think the other side of that, so it's kind of switching a little bit, right? So we're going from this tactical look. Because, like, let's say you go to the mall. You can look around and be like, oh, there's some tactical pants. Remember, yeah, I remember we went to Century Martial Arts and they had a tactical section. It's yeah. Like, what do you guys do? Yeah, what is this? It's not, <laughs> it's not legit. Uh, but we, the move now is how do you carry without looking tactical, right? How do you not draw attention I'm to trying yourself? trying to be a secret ninja, dude. Dude, for real, man. Like, if I'm someplace and I've got a weapon on me, that's fine. But I really need everybody in the place to know I have a weapon if I'm carrying concealed, right? If I open carry, they're all going to know, and that's fine. That's part of the deal. But if I choose to open carry, everybody knows. But if I'm carrying concealed, I need to make sure, number one, you can't see it. It's not printing on my clothes. Make sure that my firearm is a place I've actually trained with it. It can actually get to it and draw it and use it effectively. Uh, make sure I've got a good holster. Like, I, I thought what was funny is there's a – the inside of the pant holster, like you was put in your pocket, throw your gun in there. Uh, some of those. I have one of those. Yeah. Some of those are L-shaped. So when you draw it, it actually catches on your pocket. So as it comes out, you have just the gun. Other holsters don't have that. So when I pull yeah. it out, guess what? I got one of each. And I, I got the one. Yeah. You got to take another step. I got to pull my holster off my gun. I hate that. Slows slows me down. See, but on that one too, though, I feel... I don't know. Actually, no, that's probably. I used to like, I remember thinking, I'm like, I could shoot this at least once in the holster. Oh, yeah. Like, but then I didn't know if it would like jam on the holster when it recoiled. Yeah. And like, on holsters, I always tell people, like, make sure it tr covers your trigger. Cause if it's like, oh, my. Yeah. And I sit down and I pull that. See, trigger. I could get my, I could get my finger in the holster just enough. Like, I would get, I would like always like hold the, hold the gun in my pocket. Yeah. If I would have it in there. Man, there's so many considerations for concealed carry, open carry, and just firearms in general. Man, it's count, it's 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 numerous, and uh, it's an education. And I think just like we talked about suicide earlier, educating yourself on suicide, educating yourself on concealed carry, and then you know since me and you have that training background, it's like then train it so that you know what you can and can't do when you have it. 
you know, United States Concealed Carry Association, they got this uh, blogger, vlogger, I don't know what they call it. Any, the vlog. V- vlog. The vlog, yeah. And uh, they've got some good videos. But one of the videos, it talks about whenever you get a new holster, to wear it around your house for 30 days before you wear it in public. It in, yeah. Yeah, so you get used to it. When you say you said several things like that, and it's all common sense stuff. Yeah, but who but, that, but who would think of it? You know. Yeah, I mean, I teach concealed carry classes, and sometimes I've I've done, I've done several renewals, and the people show up for the renewals is like, hey, so when's the last time you shot? It's like five years ago when I got my concealed carry. And you're like, well, that's good. Glad you're training. But at the same time, yeah, it's like, man, yeah. But I mean, there's got to be like um, sort of an upsell market there too, in a way, to be like uh, like you could almost do private private lessons where all you do is go to the range with groups well and i do I, I carry i teach a so what i, I figured what i found out is is people need a couple classes right uh one i call your fundamentals a firearm class which is your basics because there's people out there that have never touched a gun right and females a lot of times are super nervous about it just like guys are but like my wife's a good example this nervous core is gonna shoot me yeah, don't worry about she it. She does. She pro- that's good. Females are typically sometimes better shooters than men. You know why? Because they're coachable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about it. Dude. Like, I've been in a range of females. They're like, I don't know what to do. It's like, well, listen to me and I'll tell you. Some of the some of the best people um, I've worked with uh, in terms of uh, fighters have been been females. Just like because they are coachable to, to a certain point. The struggle with a fighter is just getting them to do the things off the mat. Diet. Yeah. Extra the, 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 they'll show oh. the discipline while they're in front of you. And then it's like, no, this is a lifestyle. Like, you chose to fight. This is this is for the fight life. Like, yeah. somebody came into boxing and was, like, wanting to go all hard. And this, this kid didn't weigh 130 pounds. And, I mean, he was 18 years old. But Damon, this guy, had a fight. he has a fight coming up in MMA. We're just boxing, the boxing practice. We're boxing, sparring, and um, this kid like calls off and clocks Damon hard as fuck right in the eye, and like blacked his eye. And the next day, I was like, "Damn, what happened?" He's like, "That little, that little dude." So um, after that, Damon threw like a shovel hook, like a rear uppercut style shovel hook to his body, about like lifted him up off the mat, and that dude was done. And then that was like thirty seconds left in the round. We had a like, thirty forty five second break. And, I, and afterwards, I was like, nah, put your gloves back on, man. This is the fight life, bro. This is the fight life. You came in talking to me about the fight life, and this is it. Doing the shit you don't want to do. You were going to set out this round. Get up. Don't hit that dude so hard this time, and he won't hit you hard. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, we, I, got, I got a story about that I thought it was pretty interesting. So, like, on the firearm side of the house, like, your equipment, the whole goal is for you to be able to get, your, get to your stuff. Right, and uh, people like those thigh rigs because they're sexy, right? They're tactical, so you know. And uh, people think they're real awesome. And so, I was did you come a, up with that? The tactical? tactical? No, that's not me. I can't claim. That. I don't know who came up to it, but I've heard it like my whole career. But uh, they wear those thigh rigs, those drop leg holsters on their thigh. And I was doing a private class for a guy one time because he and his his buddies, and uh, he had that thing down to where it was like around his knee. And I was like, man, can you even get your gun? I was like, good lord. And uh, he's like, no, dude, it's cool, man. It's supposed to be on my leg. It's a drop holster. Drop it all the way down. I'm like, I don't think you understand the purpose of that that holster. And he goes, well, what is it? I was like, so when you get your gun out, it doesn't interfere with your body armor. 
I said, actually, for you, since you're not wearing body armor, a outside-the-waistband holster would be better because you're just drawing it. I hate it when my other accessories interfere with my body armor. Exactly, man. It drives me insane. People just, yeah. But no, no information like that helps out, bro. I mean, it does. Like, that's that's it. Like, I'm sure there's a lot of other instances, just like what you said, where the common citizenry um, does not um, know the why. Yeah. Like just like so many things I teach people in jujitsu, it's like, like you you can't you're showing them a why, but they need to learn like ten other more whys before they can get yeah. the overall why of what you're talking about. Like here's why we're doing this, guys. Yeah, and there's probably a good conversation there about principles and concept versus technique driven schools well and two like i think a big part of it as well is just like uh then that's been a big big topic going swirling around out there yeah i think the topic is more this than anything methods yeah you know like you have shared on the podcast several times your methods this is the methods of how you train your guys you, you require them to read this book that is your teaching method of how you want you, the people around you, uh, how you're concerned yeah. for them, how you're relaying that, you know? And uh, that is, like, I've, I've been, like, really into that. So, like, situational rolling is a method. Rolling with no submissions is a method. Rolling blindfolded is a method. Um, you can only do arm bars on the left arm is a method. Start from standing. They pull guard, then you go. Start back to back from sitting. So these are all like different rolling or, or sparring methods for jujitsu, but it's like, it's the same thing across the board. It's like, I try and like really diversify things, try to never teach the same model class, especially lately. I've been more focused on it. That's why I like having other instructors involved too. So like I was talking to Albert yesterday, he's going to run a few boxing classes because he usually just comes in and beats the shit out of everybody and goes home. And I'm like, thanks man. <laughs> like, <laughs> Uh, Put in perspective, buddy. Yeah. It's funny. Tim tried to jump around him yesterday, and he, like, caught Tim by the shoulder and was like, get back over here. Because, <laughs> dude, Tim will get those angles, bro. Yeah. I'm telling you, I've been working with that kid a couple times a week now because he has a, he can drive. He's so, 17, and he's getting incrementally better again. Dude, Always. That's, that's how it is, man. It's like same thing with holsters. Like, if you draw from the holster, if you can draw from the holster and put a round on target in under a second – you're probably a, a top shooter. But if you want to shave a tenth of a second off, you got to do it thousands upon thousands Dude, of times. So like It's uh, crazy how much practice it takes to get just a tenth of a second well, off. What's crazy, too, is like on like focus med holding, for example. Yeah. Like with Tim, there's two drills that like I taught him the drills. We've worked the drills. And, and we were doing some different combos that we hadn't really worked on a whole lot that day, like different setups and whatnot. But... Um, <clears throat> He was like just finishing with a lead hook on one of the one of the ideas, but he was getting this angle so fast. And then there was another combo where he got the angle and then threw a three count. He used a little double jab. We call it the Fitzsimmons switch to get the angle and then threw a three count. And on both of those two, two different drills, two different combos, I couldn't even like. There were several times I couldn't even keep up with him, and I engineered the drill. Yeah, you know, so it's like his skill. In something that that um, he'd been working on for less than two years, he can like get ahead of me mentally with it. Like I almost like I can't keep up with his processing speed. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh. 
Dude, another thing he does that you would like is I know Dring's always talking about hips and shoulders or balance points, and I say that incessantly too. I stole it from him. Is um, and you know that just with your judo background, it's um, pretty important. I think. And I'm too. I'm sure frisking the belt. Oh yeah, well, well frisking the belt to the escort position. Do it to my wife. It's just a get. That's what we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Oh man, yeah. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, so uh, Tim will do this thing where he gets that angle and he'll hit you once, then slide out and pull your shoulder with it. So he's behind you here, puts his glove, hooks it around your shoulder and pulls you off balance and then hits you again. So hits you, you're off balance, pulls you as he steps behind you more to catch up with him, pulls you off balance, hits you again. So, um, but man, angles, angles are such an important concept in boxing kickboxing to mma as well but in boxing um that's and i think that's why i encourage so many people to box is because that's where you get good at those things i feel the most i tell people it's like very rarely i mean kickboxing a little different with like kicking setups but for the most part i mean for kick for example you kick me first yeah i'll throw a kick there are sometimes i throw a kick first but it's usually as a counter yeah. Or it might be like a, a lead front kick, like a foot jab. But for the most part, it's all set up off the hands. The takedown, the clinch, and the kicks. Traditionally and statistically, if you want to talk about um, risk-reward, you're going to set stuff up with boxing. Yeah, lead jab into a takedown. Yeah, and stuff. I mean, man, I see tons of MMA and kickboxers, um, mixed martial arts kickboxers that don't have a jab. Jab takes time. It takes a long time. I've been jabbing for a long time, and I've just gotten better at it over the last couple of years, I feel. Yeah. So I've been boxing exclusively and more seriously since 2013. Oh, we talk about that in self-defense, you know, just a self-defense application, you know. You threaten the face, and the person's natural inclination is to cover. Oh, dude. And when they cover, dude, it's for like, hey, thanks for the present, buddy. So Here let, we go. Let me, uh, let me run this by you. Like, Mr. Dean... It was either from like a Sukanagi position or like a Tani Atoshi, like from either with an underhook or something. Like we're beside the person going to throw him backwards, right? Yeah. And um, so like we're standing there and Mr. Dean comes out there in his flannel and <laughs> his long johns. <laughs> and he goes like this. Didn't touch me. And then I did it several times to other people. Didn't touch me at all, but went like this. And I went like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh. You know, like, oh, it, like I thought he was going to push my face. So I went back. That was the off balance. Yeah. It's called eye threat. It's good. I, it blew my mind because I was like, no, don't do that. And I essentially started the throw for him. I think he was doing it. It was either Obi Atoshi or it was Tani Atoshi. Yeah. So. And that's a natural reaction, man. But typically what you see is like you put my face, I'll cover up. Or I put my hands up or I'll look away because I don't want to be blind, right? It's just like a natural inclination since birth. So... Same with that, the eye threat or self-preservation. Yeah, dude, it is it's a strong thing. People want to not get their head damaged where their brain is. The big computer, right? We were um, this morning watching that Frank Mirano Gira fight. So that self, that same self-preservation we're talking about can be overridden. Yeah, Antonio Nogueira through training. Yeah, let his arm break. Yeah, that's insane. You know, it's one of those people ask you, like, well, when did you get stabbed? Well, you keep fighting because it ain't over, is it? Right? That's yeah. the thing about self-preservation is, is like, we do uh, force-on-force -force training with simunition guns, which is basically paintball for cops, if you want to call it. It's like, but it's 
it's a pain inoculation. So when we're out there, we're training, and you get shot with a ammunition gun, officers never die, right? And so there's lots of stories out there. Ohio has a good story. There was a female officer been through ammunition training, right? That pain inoculation training goes into a garage. Three three attackers get shot ten times in the garage, puts down all three attackers and returns fire, right? Because in training she'd been taught to fight through the pain in order to be to, to prevail and win, right? And she's alive today. And those other three guys, they're no longer with us. But she, through that training, said, I knew that I got shot. I felt myself get shot. But I knew that I wasn't dead because I did that training and I was able to push through and uh, overcome everything. So I think that's like a, a huge, huge thing that you got to think about when you're doing your training. Back on that, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Sorry, my segues aren't as No, good no, 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 they are, man. You, uh, it's thought-provoking. That's, I mean, they really are. I'm, I'm just, I'm just a martial arts hipster dude with a man bun, bro. Like, I'm, I'm just, just trying I'm just, not to get killed on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, well, and that is, you know, it's thought for me. I love sitting down talking to you or Dring or going up to train uh, with Dring or train law enforcement with him or seeing you guys training uh, in the gym with law enforcement because it's thought provoking. Like, I love thinking about self defense. Anybody that says self defense is bullshit. It's disservicing. Like I'm in, I'm in the martial arts industry, but it's like, that's that's it, man. Like I, I like look around all the time, and I'm like, and it's always been the same. Even when I had more competitors, it's like competitors are the minorities. Yeah, you know, and I don't mean ethnic minorities. I mean out of all the people at my gym, there's the fewest number of people that compete out of the bigger, larger community, and. um so that, uh, that's a thing. It's like, I treat that accordingly. So that tells me that everybody else is there for like self-defense, fitness, confidence, hobby, community, social, those reasons yeah. instead of sport competitor. Like it's actually, I've been being an elitist about this, but it's like pissing me off when I see people call like judo or Brazilian jiu-jitsu or jiu-jitsu or, um, anything a sport when they're talking about not the sport yeah exclusively they're talking and so i'm like well it's an it's an art you need mm -hmm. to say it correctly it's the, the, it's the or way. say the martial art and sport of yeah or i'll accept this term as a martial arts historian self self-proclaimed martial sport mm. Like, so I use, I use combat sport, but like yeah. in my thesis, uh, when I got to like the 20th century, I started talking a lot about martial arts as sport. That's what I would yeah, use. I just martial sport. That's how I would describe it. Yeah. I can see that. And they got combat sports now. Cause you have to point. have multiple ways to spin it. So you don't use, cause I mean, imagine how many times in a master's thesis on martial arts, I said martial arts. Yeah. And I think I think the other side of that is is like competition, man. I think it's good. It is. You should always test yourself against other people to see kind of where you rank. Especially at like locally, like it yeah. these little regional tournaments and stuff. It's it's such a that doesn't mean some crazy stuff doesn't happen. There's a that dude the last tournament that made international headlines that wouldn't tap to a freaking heel hook and like let his ankle break. Yeah. My only problem with competition is is like to compete you can't really kill anybody. So you actually take lethality out of the competition stuff. And I think there's a big argument out there, a discussion. They still do the discussion about self-defense versus, you know, competition training. And I think that if you're, if you're a guy that's a serious competitor 
and you're putting the time on the mat, off the mat, and you know you're weighing in at your five percent body fat, and you're lifting a house, and your weightlifting routines, and you're out there and you're training on a consistent basis, you're probably going to be okay in a self defense situation. You know what I'm saying? Because physically, you're going to be a beast. And uh, someone goes to attack you mano a mano or whatever hands and stuff, you're probably going to come out super victorious in that. I think the other side of it is if you want to be a well-rounded uh, person, train for competition because it puts you in awesome shape. Do those techniques. They're super effective. Uh, you know, in, in my profession, though, we can't really just haul off and, like, gouge your eye out, right? We have to – That's a foul. Yeah. So unless there's a situation where that's acceptable, situational, totality of circumstance type thing, uh, we use more control techniques. So going into a jiu-jitsu gym or a judo school or training all that stuff – that helps us out so much, man. We were we were doing walkie gatami last night, um, yeah. and Matt Hall was there. He's going to come on the podcast, by the way. This dude's 6'10", 285. And, um, it's I fun was, to grapple. I was talking about walkie gatami and getting in on it, and we were doing throws and just different things from it. I, I uploaded a video called Walkie Gatami Options on our gym YouTube you can check out. Yeah. It's got just a little different things, like a Taitoshi variation, a rolling knee bar. I mean, Ashigurami. A rolling Ashigurami. But the standing submission, the going to the ground, the sacrifice of it. But I walked up beside him. I was like, well, hey, it's like this. Because he's done some DT stuff uh, because he works at the jail. Yeah. But I walked up and I grabbed him by the wrist of the tricep and I went, sir, I'm going to need you to come with me. (laughs) And he did (laughs) We both just lost it. Because, dude, he's, I mean, he's 6'10, 285. It's literally, I mean, I'm six white. Six foot and one half inch. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I'm just like, MacArthur's been coming in. Um, I've been seeing him, and uh, he's six six, And it's like, looking up at him, MacArthur looks up at this guy. Yeah. And the funny part is, is MacArthur outweighs him. But both those dudes are coming on the podcast, actually. MacArthur's coming on over spring break. Dude, they're fun to grapple, man. They're a handful. That's a lot of business right there. Yeah. You know, it's awesome. Super heavyweights. Oh, yeah. Good times. Yeah. Well, uh, man, um, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up. Is it, Do you want to give a plug for your website or your tactical training business you've been doing? Sure, man. Go ahead. Why not? I'll, like I'll, I'll post it in maybe, the description on the video, too. Maybe I'll be a sponsor one day, right? There you go. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm going to get some of those. Uh, so, I mean, pretty simple, man. Uh, we got a training we do, concealed carry. We teach that new enhanced concealed carry class. I'm certified to do it right now. Uh, SRTS, Arkansas. Dot com, So go there, check it out. There's a contact us form on there and just fill it out if you're interested in training our classes. Uh, we do uh, fundamentals of firearm class. We do our concealed carry, our hands concealed carry. And then we do custom classes, which is the ones I, I really enjoy the custom classes because you kind of get to go out and do some more advanced training, intermediate pistol, advanced pistol, uh, rifle training with weapons manipulation and stuff like that. So that's super fun. I've always enjoyed those classes. Uh, and it's kind of like a one to how, how many buddies you got kind of kind of deal. So. Yeah, no, interesting. And uh, obviously, um, concealed carry is a state-by-state basis. It varies from state. But Mm -hmm. um, if people want to, I'm sure, contact you for any, uh, if we have out-of-state listeners or uh, out-of-country listeners that wanted to do, like, consultation with you. Oh, yeah. I'm sure they could contact you for that as well, the same means. Yeah, just go to that website, SRTS Arkansas, spelled out, uh, .com. And then when you go there, just... Check out the website. There's a contact form. It's a simple site, I'll be honest with you, because it's kind of a landing page for me. And then uh, 
I've got classes scheduled for up until the end of May right now for concealed carry. I've been doing about two to three months out with that. And uh, you really doing a good. YouTube or anything? Maybe after today we might look at some YouTube stuff, but I haven't really put anything out there online or YouTube. I'm just more interested in training and doing the classes personally. You start your own YouTube. I would definitely encourage you to do that. Or you're welcome to, to put a playlist on my YouTube or <laughs> our YouTube rather. <laughs> Because yeah. I've been uploading tons of those judo videos that were on the member site YouTube um, and getting them put in playlists and getting that ordered up. But um, that's something that's definitely like I want to do a self-defense playlist. Yeah. I've been looking at a lot of other bigger gyms that have like categories of playlists. And um, when Hickson releases that self-defense unit, uh, I'm signed up for that. And it's going to be 70 techniques. Um I like to look at that. Yeah, oh, I'm gonna. I'll, I'll have digital access. I'll let you know. Yeah, I would never give you the login. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. So uh, you got yeah anything yeah, else, man? We thanks for coming on. Man, I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah, I would like to uh, you know give you a few weeks off or whatever, but come back and have you just talk about your judo. I love you martial have, arts uh, too. I train them. Well, and I mean, you did. Um, you did come up and uh, train with one of the most legit old school judo practitioners guy trained the kodakon everything so mr carl guys yeah so. passed on somewhere else but yeah yeah but no i would definitely awesome. like to sit down and have a conversation about that sometime we can do that uh, in our sports unravel playlist and dump that over in there Sweet. Where we also will talk about john jones's uh ped issues oh what what what, what? 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 i shared an article last night about a doctor we'll talk about it on the next mma show Are you talk about russia's pd issues too or? uh yeah no. no i'm definitely so that's that will and go the, on the sports unravel playlist it's not exclusively going to be martial arts they were in the olympics after the pd thing okay anyway we don't talk about that because they have uh, better nuclear warheads than us okay <laughs> they do they got a guy that's willing to push the button yeah yeah uh, i think sadly probably we do too Wow. It's not going to be a good time. Sometimes you got to push buttons. Yeah. All right. All right. We'll sign it off. Thanks for uh, listening, everybody. Uh, and uh, subscribe to our YouTube. Uh, you can check us out on Podbean. That's our audio host. And uh, through Podbean, we get direct uh, uploads onto the uh, Apple uh, podcast app. So you have that on your iPhone already. If you didn't delete it, if you did, re-download it so you can listen to Life Unraveled podcast. Thanks, guys.